0: In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we have the disgrace of Israel and that of Eli's house. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word, 1 Samuel 4, starting at verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp and the Philistines were afraid for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army. And came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli, Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child near to be delivered, And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, 1 Samuel 4. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it, and now in consideration of it. Here, verses 1 through 9, we have Israel's disgrace and loss to the Philistines, Their superstitious using of the ark of God as a talisman and the manly resistance it spawned in the Philistines. Notice here that the word of Samuel came to all Israel. We saw this in chapter 3, verse 24, that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And now that word comes out from Samuel to all Israel. This is a message that God gave either through his preaching in general or particularly calling them to battle together with the Philistines. They pitched, it says Israel did, beside Ebenezer. Evan Eben is a stone, Ezer is help. Now on this occasion, God is not going to help them. We will find in later passages of scripture in this book that God would help them at this place, but here not so, and we'll see why. Israel is smitten before the Philistines. They had national sins. They profaned God in the church by its rulers. And this all occasioned the misery of the people. Four thousand are slain. And notice their blindness. Do they say, well, four thousand have been slain. What have we done wrong? No. Why is it that this happened? I know we'll fix it by fixing our circumstances. They don't want to fix themselves. They don't want to repent of their sins. Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today? We just can't figure it out. They are a profane people, a lawless people, a superstitious people. They won't humble themselves before God, but they just can't figure out why they lost. Let us learn not to be like them. Let us learn to humble ourselves. Let us learn to look to God's word for laws and authoritative guidance rather than to justify ourselves or think, well, if we just change this about our environment, everything would be fine. You know, that's the game of politics. Let's fix the environment, then we'll perfect society. No, you won't. People are sinners. And they say, concerning their environment, that once they change having the ark there, what's going to happen? God's going to save them? No. That when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. The Westminster annotations say, hereby they showed that they put more confidence in the ark, which was but a visible sign of God's presence, than in his promises apprehended by faith. God makes promises to be with his people when they turn from their sins and trust in him. We receive those promises by faith, but what did they say? We want the sign of God's presence called the Ark of the Testament. We don't want the substance of the Testament. We want the sign of the Testament. Many a baptized Christian will burn in hell because all they have is the sign. They don't have the substance of baptism, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, renewal of the inner man. No, I'm content just to have the sign. That's enough. Well, at least they had God's sign. Some people will take another thing and say, I want this sign that God never gave. And they'll say, that's my thing. For instance, I went forward at an altar call and I signed a card and I prayed a prayer. Did God say that's a sign? No. He says, repent and believe. He doesn't say come forward in a church service and sign a card. But men will look to that and say, see, I know I'm a believer because I have my card, or I got my rosary, or I got my crucifix, or I sing the Psalms, or I do these outward things. God says, trust in Him. Trust in His promises. The means of grace are not God Himself. They're means by which God communicates His grace to us. So we don't trust in the means, we trust in the God of the means. But here, notice, they trust in the means. Let us diligently use the means of grace, but never put our faith in the means of grace. Now notice, in order to demonstrate the foolishness of this project, who was there at the ark? God's favorite people? Holy men of the Lord? Does it mention anything about Samuel being there? No. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. God is holy. In fact, it points out to us that when they came there, God, it says, dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant looked like? It had two cherubims facing in toward the mercy seat. So what God is doing by telling us this is, here you have the holy God, And what sort of ministers do you have? Unholy, wicked, godless ministers, Hophni and Phinehas, a holy God with unholy ministers. And somehow you think that by getting this Ark of the Covenant from Eli's sons, that somehow God will save you or the Ark will save you. So when the Ark of the Covenant comes, have they learned their lesson yet? No, they shout and it's so loud, it causes the earth to shake. They think battle's won, we're the victors. That's what you do when you shout. You say the battle is finished, the war is over, we are the victors. Had they won yet? No, but their vain confidence was, now we have the talisman, now we have the good luck charm, now we have God at our disposal, he must save us, we have the victory. You know, he says, if you trust in him in battle, you have the victory. If you put your confidence in him, even though all the odds are against you, and you say, Lord, we commit our army to you and we're at your disposal, then he says, I'll save you. Is that what they did? No. They trusted in the Ark of the Covenant. They put the armor off as if the battle were done and the shouting begins. And then the Philistines hear it. And of course, the Philistines are heathens, right? They believe in good luck charms. They believe in talismans. They believe in ex operatum, as the papists do. They believe that the mere external action will save you. Of course, they believe that they're heathens. So they hear and they say, oh no, God has come up. They have a physical thing. That must be their God. He's now in the battlefield. And remember what he did to the Egyptians, their gods? They struck them in the wilderness with all their plagues. What are we going to do? Now, they refer to God as gods here in the plural, not by the name Elohim, but rather as a plurality of deities. There is the word Elohim means gods or mighty ones, and it's used in Hebrew as an intensive for one thing, that is used intensively, a plural for a singular. In other words, that's not what they do here. They refer to these various mighty gods. They are superstitious polytheists who believe that the external sign can save, or in their case, well, that's just a tribal deity, and he only did work for them, but maybe our strength can overcome their gods. You see that? So they say, be like men. Quit you like men and fight. Don't become their slaves as they have been your slaves. So there we see the Philistines even have this sense of manhood. Grow stout. Be hard or firm or strong. That's the idea of quit yourselves like men and be strong. Here in the natural state, Even in the fallen condition, they seek to oppose manly strength to the strength of these gods that have now been brought, so they think, into the army of Israel. Now, if this were the true and the living God, it would be madness to fight against him. If they were actually fighting against God, that would be some kind of lunacy to project yourself and say, "Okay, we can win against an almighty power because you can't. But they're not fighting against God. They're fighting against a superstitious, wicked, and idolatrous people. So they tell themselves in this light, quit yourselves like men and fight. Now, when an army thinks that the battle is done, do you think they're going to fight very hard? No. So now that Israel has the ark and their vain confidence is placed in it to save them, now that they've shouted as if the battle's already done, they're not going to fight. And so they are destroyed by the Philistines. They are overcome and routed. Thousands, tens of thousands. And Eli's sons who brought the ark to battle and came out on the battlefield and probably were very puffed up to hear all the cheers for the ark of the Testament. They're dead too. So then verses 10 through 22, Israel is defeated. The ark is taken by the Philistines. And the chain of death and the glory departing comes as these dominoes fall one by one. Verse 10 tells us there was a very great slaughter of 30,000 footmen. So here the manly heathens come against the superstitious visible saints. God grants the victory to the reprobates to harden them in their sin and to humble his superstitious people, to bring them to the end of themselves. Now, we will find in chapter 7 that through the ministry of Samuel, Israel does repent of their vain and superstitious ways. They do come to repentance, but not yet. Verse 11, the ark of God was taken. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Do you remember God said exactly this thing through Samuel? His words were not spilled on the ground. His words were fulfilled. Then a man comes from Benjamin, mourning with his clothes rent in verse 12. And there we have Eli in verse 13, his heart trembling. Why? For his sons? No, for the ark of God. Now he may have known that this was a fool's errand, and he was worried. His heart trembled because he thought, well, we're going to lose the ark. We're going to lose the battle. We're, we can't win. We are idolatrous and superstitious. So his heart or his mind is trembling or disturbed. He's worried. He's stressed. And his vile sons went out with the ark. Can any good come out of that? Eli doesn't seem to think so. Eli's an ancient man, 98 years old. He's heavy. And here he has this messenger come and he asks him, what is there done? He knew perhaps the doom was near. He knew the prophecies. He knew the faithfulness of Samuel. Thy two sons, the messenger says, Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God is taken. All that he feared is done. All that was prophesied is done except what? Eli's death. All of them have to die. All of the arm of Eli's house has to be cut off. And so we see, once mention is made of the ark of God, he fell from off the seat, backward by the side of the gate, and his neck break, and he died. Now, though Eli did nothing to reform the worship of God, he did love the worship of God. Though he did not concern himself, even with the death of his sons, he did concern himself with the ark Something he was responsible for, something he had stewardship over. He cared about God's kingdom, not perfectly, of course. And yet, here we see his greatest fear, his greatest desire was the restoration of the worship of God, the means of grace. And so, it being gone, that is the ark, he dies. He hears and falls and dies. And once this happened, the next domino falls. We have Phineas's wife. She hears of all these things and her pains come upon her. This can happen to women before you might say they're due. They will hear of things or have stressful things on their body or their spirit. And those things can provoke the giving forth of a child. Her pains came upon her. She answers and said nothing. Nothing. When they tell her, fear not, you're going to have a child, she doesn't even answer. She's in, this, in the phase where she's moving from life to death. Her life is exiting as they speak to her. So she says nothing, but she does say, as if directed by providence itself without any human aid, she names the child E-chabod. Now, chabod is glory or gravity. It's some weighty thing, some important thing, something that holds us down and makes us stable. That is the glory of God. That is Chabod. Ich is gone. That glory of Israel, that thing that gave us weight, all we are now is vanity. We have nothing solid, nothing of substance. God himself has departed from among us since God himself is our glory No priests, no ark, no husband to protect her, no God to watch over the people, no worship to edify and console us in our times of mourning. The glory is departed, she says. And if they tried to reason with her and tell her consoling words, she would not hear it. And so she repeats again, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken I note then that a godless and superstitious people are a miserable and God-forsaken people. A godless and superstitious people are a miserable and God-forsaken people. Do you know what they call this time of the year? The most wonderful time of the year. Do you know how many people commit suicide in this time of year? The numbers go up astronomically. The number of beatings in families of murders of crime of drunkenness of drug use. Why? Because it's the most wonderful time of the year. And the more idolatrous people come become in their lives, guess what happens to that second table of the law? Out the window. Violence in the streets. Why? Because men console themselves with superstition and lawlessness in their own feelings, in their own desires. A godless and superstitious people are a miserable and God-forsaken people. They had plenty of religion, didn't they? They had the Ark of the Testament designed at God's own command, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, ordained according to the orders of God's law, bringing that out into the battlefield. What could be more religious than that? But it is a false religion. More religion does not make for God's glory. The true religion makes for God's glory. Let us then hold fast to God's true religion, walk in his holy ways, doing his will, not trusting in the signs of God's presence, but in God who gives us those signs. Let's pray.